Philippians, Philippians, the first chapter. Um, I I love I love the uh, the epistle uh, to the Philippians. Really, in one sense, it's not really an epistle. It's more of a man's personal experience. This is Paul's personal experience, and truthfully, because of the truth that is in it, and because Paul called by Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus in Acts the ninth chapter in those first six verses. He has been raised up. God had raised him up to lay the foundation for the truths of our position in Christ. And when my position is learned and understood, then I have a proper personal experience. And this was Paul's personal experience. So when you read the book of Philippians, really, it's not in the sense that his other epistles that were, uh, when I say his, because they were given to him by Christ, when I say that they're his epistles, they're ours, because Christ gave them to us. They don't necessarily, uh, those epistles teach us these truths, but now they're being brought out in the book of Philippians, in the epistle of Philippians, really, in a personal experience. And, and that is the Holy Spirit is taking this man's personal experience and saying, see, see, this is your proper experience. This is, as a result of what you have in me in your position, this can be your proper and should be your proper experience. So we see this. Now, in the past we've said that, uh, again, Paul in Acts the ninth chapter, he was called by Christ. We see that he was called by him in Acts chapter nine in those first six verses. We also see in Galatians the fifth, uh, first chapter in the 15th verse, he said that God had separated him from his mother's womb. That means the whole time that in Psalm 139, 13 to 17, the whole time that he's forming Paul, as a baby in his mother's womb, he's, he's already forming in him that gift of Christ and that particular gift that he had as an apostle. Of course, it took him probably 35 years before he met Christ as his Savior and experienced his call. But nevertheless, that's what is brought out in the truth of the Scriptures. So that... We can learn, and as Paul had to learn, and he did, he did not stop learning, and neither will you and I stop learning, no matter what age we are, no matter how much his grace and truth has matured us in the reality of who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us. We will learn that here, and we learn it here. With We get distracted and disturbed, and there's distance at times, in our learning, but once we get to heaven, there'll be no more disturbance or distraction, but we're still gonna continually learn the reality of Christ, who is that eternal life in us, in 1 John 5, verse 11. And the reason that we will is that in Isaiah 57, verse 15, he inhabits eternity. So we're never gonna come to the end, especially face to face for all eternity, experiencing a love that will never come to the end of knowing and experiencing the depth of it 
in Ephesians 3 and verse 19. We just never will. But here, this is for us right now in time. So from the time that God had raised up Paul, he, got, he, he received Christ. We know that in Acts chapter 9, verses 4, 5, and 6. And when it says there, he said, Lord, what will you have me to do? That's indicative of the fact that he instantly received Christ as his Savior and his call immediately and the gift. They were all one calling. And we know that in Romans 8, verse 28. The call that we have is the fact that we're in Christ. And our me the measure of our success is Christ himself. Even in ministry, it's not how many people we have. <laughs> uh, the measure of our success is Christ. But instantly he's called by God through Christ. Instantly. And then he goes on three missionary journeys. Many believe, and as I do, that he was approximately 35 years of age when he met Christ on the road to Damascus as the height of the religious man, the height of the, the religious legalistic man who functioned, he, who thinking he was functioning for God, yet he was the greatest enemy of Christ and those that were his. Then he met Christ on the road to Damascus. He's approximately 35 years of age. Then he goes on three missionary journeys. And by the time he's in the book of Philippians, he's approximately 67 years of age. He's 67. And what Christ had to do is even at the end of his service, of actually serving Christ, he's still serving him in a prison. Can I still, can there be value with me in a prison? Well, that's why it says in Ephesians 3.1 and Ephesians 4.1 that he was the prisoner of the Lord. He was no longer the servant or the slave or the prisoner of sin in, Roman, in John 8, verse 34, but now he's the prisoner of Christ. He's been captured. Love has captured him. Christ has captured him. And then he's chained again at 67 years of age to a Roman guard in a prison. In a prison. And that's why when we read these verses, when we read this, this verse, we see this. That in Philippians 3.9, chained to a Roman guard at the end of public service, he has to be chained to a Roman guard so Christ can teach Paul continually this. What is he teaching him? In Philippians 3 verse 7, but what things were gained to me those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, without any exception, without any exception, beyond all doubt, I count all things loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom, having the privilege of suffering the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. He's chained to a Roman guard. And what is, what is God continually teaching this man, this, and be found in him? Be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law through the flesh, but that which is through the faith, the absolute dependence of Christ, the righteousness which is of God. See, it's only of God by a continual faith dependence. 
Why? And in that faith dependence, which can only come of God and from him through Christ, then I personally, I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. So Paul is talking in the book of Philippians about his personal experience, of course, and even in prison, he's still dealing with others that had issues, believers that had issues with each other. He still had to deal with that. Even in a prison, as Christ is dealing with him personally in his life, he still has to deal in Philippians, the fourth chapter, in verse one, it says, therefore, my my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown. So stand fast, stand immovable in the Lord, dearly beloved. And as long as you do, you will experience that you are his beloved and the beloved of his son in Colossians 1 and verse 13. But he said, I beseech you, you odious, and beseech, Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat you also, true yoke fellow. All of us are yoked up to Christ. Help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other, my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Because, you know, we can always rejoice in the Lord, always. It's always something we can be thankful for in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18, 17 and 18. Pray without ceasing, and when you do, you'll be thankful for in all things in 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, and for all things in Ephesians 5, 20. It's very, very clear and very beautifully brought out in the Scriptures. But he said, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation, your, your mildness, your gentleness be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. And when we know the Lord is at hand and he's present, will I be anxious for one single thing in Philippians 4 and verse 6? No, separated, but separated by that in everything by prayer, trust, dependence, him, Christ communicating to him and us, and supplication for others with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Result, the peace of God, which passes all your natural understanding, will guard your hearts, your minds, and your emotions through Christ Jesus. What he's teaching here is this, that even in prison, and we're going to get back to his personal experience, But even while God was Christ, through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, was dealing with an apostle in a prison, personally dealing with him beautifully in his experience, he still had to deal with writings between two women who co-labored with him for years and then had an issue between each other and weren't functioning in forgiveness. They refused the forgiveness of the one who was in them, Christ, who had forgiven every Christian of every single sin, including themselves. What would keep the distance between believers? This is what will keep the distance between believers. It is a lack of forgiveness. Basically, what we're saying is, when we don't receive, and how quickly will we receive, and do we want to receive forgiveness for our sins? 
but how quickly or how long it takes us to forgive others. Why? Because self is still the issue. They wouldn't forgive each other. After serving, being taught by the apostle and serving him and loving him, listen, and loving each other, something happened to cause distance between them. And we know distance is caused by the enemy who wants to divide, and when he can, he conquers. Not positionally, but experientially. But the therefore, in, in, in chapter 4, verse 1 of Philippians, he's going back all the way through those other chapters. He's going back all the way through. But still having to deal with them. Constantly. Why? Because this is, this is, and we'll see this, and we'll get back to his personal experience, but this is what was happening between Euodius and Syntyche. This is what happened in the church of Corinth. In other words, I can have all this mature truth and declare it, but when it's not experiential, it's not exchanged. Boy, I want to say that one again. I can have all this positional truth and be taught it, and I may be able to declare it, but unless I experience it, there's no exchange in the life of the fellowship in Christ between two. Something comes in between, usually with Christians, and a lot of it. The thing that's missing most in relationships. How are you going to have a, if a relationship in, involves persons and being impersonal and having some form of personal involved in it in relationships, how are you going to have that without forgiveness? I just don't, don't see it. Now, in the church of Corinth, what had happened, we saw, and we can see in 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, that there was a young man, and he was having sexual relations with his stepmother, his, his father's wife, but it was his stepmother. The church of Corinth was so occupied with themselves and so occupied with the gifts that they thought were promoting them above others in their flesh, which God never gives a gift to anybody to exalt them in their flesh, but to humble them in his presence. That's why we have gifts, by the way, is to be humble in our presence, in his presence, I should say, with us in his presence. But they were so occupied with themselves and self-promotion. And remember in Psalm 75, 6 and 7, promotion doesn't come from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and sets up another. So in Corinth, Here's a man living like this. That one sin was affecting others in that local assembly because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little sin allowed in my life affects the whole local assembly in some measure without any question about it. So they were so occupied with that that they were missing because they were self-occupied with their gifts separated from Christ that they missed the fact that this this young man was living in sin. Finally, when he did get right, guess what? When he did get right, they wouldn't forgive him. They refused to forgive him. This is where we get in first, this is where we get 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Chapter 2, and now he's speaking to them again. Paul. First, he, first, with the Holy Spirit, he had to write in 1 Corinthians 5 what was being allowed and why it was being allowed. In the second epistle of, of Corinthians in chapter 2, this is what he says. In verse 1 it says, But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. For if I make you sorry, 
Who is he then that makes me glad, but the same which, may, which is made sorry by me? That, we can experience that in our relationships and ourselves with Christ and with others. And I wrote the same unto you, lest when I come, or when I came, I, I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. So there's joy not being experienced because now, now they're not forgiving him. When I don't forgive, boy, is there any joy? Where does joy come from? Being in his presence in Psalm 16 and verse 11. Why? Because in 16.8 of the same psalm, I have set the Lord before my face. I don't make more of my sins than his grace. His grace is greater than my sin, greater than my failures. It's greater than them all. Every single bit of it. And this is what he says here. Again, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might, might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. But if any have caused grief, he has not grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all, that I might not make you responsible for all of this. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many, so that contrarywise you ought to forgive him. Notice that? You ought to forgive him. And comfort him. Boy, when we don't forgive others, when I don't experience God's forgiveness for me personally, is there any comfort? Is there any joy? Never. How does God comfort us? Well, God is love. He comforts us. How do I experience it in my relationship with him? How do I have a continual personal relationship with, with God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit without forgiveness? I mean, that's crystal clear in those first 10 chapters of, the fir of 1 John 1. Those first 10 verses make it crystal clear. We have fellowship. We have fellowship. You just think, I don't want to be accountable for my, my sins. I want to be forgiven. But someone else? No, that's got to stop here. Why? Self is the issue. And then I affect others. God doing the work in others? God doing a work in a man, a certain other man has an issue with him, with you, and that affects even the work that God wants to do in that man, that he was continuing to do, by the way. I want to make that crystal clear. This is what it says. So that contrary-wise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him. Because contrary-wise is you're not. You're so overwhelmed with yourself so much of your life is yourself. You're the object of your own self. Yeah, yeah. Forgive anyone? No. Comfort? No. Lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with much, swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. Do you see why we teach that love, that forgiveness is the confirmation of God's love? It isn't because I said it, it's because the word of God says it right here. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. Listen, if I can't confirm my love to another believer when they fail, it just shows that I haven't dealt with my own. I don't have to give. For, for to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, 
whether you be obedient in all things. So when I don't forgive is that sin and is, is a lack of obedience sin, yes. And when I sin, do I even experience the comfort and the forgiveness of the love that's mine in Christ and my position? True, but in my experience, no. To whom, in verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 2, to whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. Why? Because we're one. In the same love, in Ephesians 4, verse 32, you should forgive. Why? Because you're forgiven. You're forgiven. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Notice that. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. What's one of his devices? It's his hugest one, I believe, in the church. Why? You know why? Because the thief came to do what? To steal, to kill, and destroy. Why? In, re in proper relationships with believers, to steal, kill, and destroy the experience, number one, the glory of Christ himself, and the blessing of that glory that would be revealed. Do you know that every time that you and I receive the forgiveness of God, it, it just manifests his glory, and oh, how the enemy hates that. Oh, how he hates it. When the forgiveness of the light of the love of Christ himself in, a, in one single vessel lights up that vessel, and they become that light of love and forgiveness to others. Oh, how the enemy hates that. And if he can't stop it in the individual for themselves, he certainly wants to stop it from that light going further, not keeping it in a, keeping it in a selfish sense and not coming out to others. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. I mean, we can have abundant life without that abundant life that, that is ours in Christ in our position, but we can't experience it without that forgiveness. Because in what relationship is there not going to be failure? But is the failure who we are? To get a chance, read the post this morning. Read the post. If you're not staying away and living in self-pity because of a lack of forgiveness, because of the pride of the flesh, but back to Paul's experience, and we're going to close that. Back to Paul's experience. We see Paul, here Paul's personal experience is being brought out again in the book of Philippians, the beginning of his imprisonment. When was he imprisoned? When he was enjoying the blessed results, notice this, of God's calling as described in the book of Ephesians. Listen, God used Paul to write the book of Ephesians in a personal way for himself and for you and I. And yet, he's learning it again. <laughs> right here in a prison. What can God do in a prison? What can God do in your circumstance and situation? Does it look like a prison? A prison of pain? <laughs> Could it be? A prison of no money? Could it be living in a prison in North Korea? Could it be living in the prison of growing up in the slum areas of India, the poor areas of Africa? Or could it just be in our country with everything that we have, yet still having the privilege to be in a prison with him? 
That is, and he's bringing out all these truths in Philippians to this apostle, all that truth of, of the Ephesians truth. While at the close, listen to this, when the departure from the truth was almost overwhelming, here he is, he's got all this truth, he's fellowshipping with it. And, but for the most part, the departure from the truth, because people depart from grace, and there is no grace without truth, there's no truth without grace, there's no proper experience without an experiential cross that separates and has already crucified the flesh in Romans chapter 6, and those beautiful first 11 verses there, it, it, the way it brings it out. But the truth was almost overwhelming when all in Asia, and you will see this, all in Asia did what? They turned away from him. They all turned away. He, he taught them. But for all these other issues, they all turned away from him. Let me ask you a question. Was he still a success? Is Christ still in him? Is he still in Christ? Is he in a prison? Is he a success? He's an absolute success. Because success isn't what I do. Success is receiving Christ who's done it all for me individually. That'll be brought out for all eternity in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 17, that hidden manna and that white stone. But all had turned away from him. We can see it. How do I know that? Well, let me read to you why. And I'm going to have to read the scriptures again because that's how we know. We prove one scripture by another. But see, we see this in, in 1.15 of 2 Timothy, chapter 1 and verse 15. This you know, that all, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me. He's in prison. They all turn away from me. For whatever reason, was it? Was it because it wasn't forgiveness? They're turned away from me. Is who, of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes? But you know what? He's got one individual still. And he said, The Lord give mercy unto the house of Anesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. And the Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day, and in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus. You all know well, and it's brought out in the scriptures. But what do we see in 2 Timothy 4? By this time, by this time, he knows. He's in prison, and yet he knows Nero's axe is coming down on his head, going to chop his head off, and it's going to be what he says. It's like his life poured out as a drink offering to God, to Christ. And he knows that. But look. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 16, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all forsook me. I pray, God, that it, be, may, not, that it may not be laid to their charge, like Stephen prayed in Acts the 7th chapter, in 51 to 58, to 57. And like all they forsook Christ, even his disciples, those closest to him that he taught, in Matthew 26, 56, they all forsook him. Of course, Peter in Matthew 26, 58 followed him afar off, still on a hill. And that hill, he could only follow him afar off because the hill was self-preservation. Still areas preserving for self. That's what happens when we don't forgive. Now, I'm preserving this for myself. Forgiveness is just for me. It's not for someone else. 
and I'm going to hold them accountable, and I'm going to withdraw and teach them a lesson. Well, listen, you're not opposing me. You are not opposing God. In 2 Timothy 2.25, you're opposing yourself by a lack of forgiveness. You only oppose yourself because there is no comfort and joy outside of the presence of God that has, through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, forgiven us. But he said this in 2 Timothy 4, 17, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. I don't know, is that enough? Is he enough? Is Jesus Christ enough when I'm alone and all are forsaken? Is he still the measure of my success? There's no question about it. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me, the preaching, he's still preaching to a Roman God. You'll see, he taught throughout all the praetorium in, in uh, that dungeon and all through the, they all heard it. Every God that he was chained to in his own circumstances and situations, he literally was teaching them. Was it just one? Yeah, that's Matthew 18, 20. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there and I in the midst. We all experience the success in each individual. And in that sense, with the teaching that we got in Ephesians 4.11, we begin to minister in 12. And then we end up being a joint in 4.16 of Ephesians that supplies. What kind of supply do you have when you don't forgive people? When you don't even experience it for yourself. By not forgiving others, you cut yourself off from forgiveness. Boy, we need to learn that. Boy, oh boy. And how that lack of forgiveness in one vessel affects many others. I've seen it. It can affect a wife. It can affect, it can have an effect, a negative effect on an in-law. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by the preach, by me, the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles, all those unsaved, all those might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work. Finally, he did. Narrow thinking he was getting rid of him was just allowing him to be set free in Christ. <laughs> oh boy, we can't lose. We cannot lose. We're more than conquerors in Romans 8.37. God for us in 8.31, who against us? Even the ones that don't get, cut, cut off fellowship because they don't forgive. Are they against you? No, they're against themselves. They live under the influence and in their experience of the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He can't touch the position, but he wants to destroy the experience. Well, and again, and God's going to deliver him and us from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to him be glorying forever and ever. Amen. This was Paul's condition when he was writing Philippians and when he was writing uh, those first two epistles, First and Second Timothy. But the fact of the matter is, when all had turned away from him, as was brought out in Second Timothy 1.15, he was intimately supported and cheered by the Lord, and so is he the Lord himself as a guide to us. Thank God for the teaching and for those that he has given us in our lives. Are they perfect? No, they're not. Neither are those that give the word and neither are those that receive it. But we all have been forgiven. 
very interesting. Very interesting. Each is of deep interest to us. Everything he went through here. One shows us what? The sublime happiness, which is ours in the most trying circumstances and situations. As a prisoner in Rome, he not only sees and writes of things of infinite magnitude that he wrote and didn't write them till he was in the in prison, until he did submit to Christ, until he did trust him, until he did experience these realities. There were things of infinite magnitude in a prison. But he tells us also, because he was led to do so by the Holy Spirit, his own experiences that were happening at that time. You know, I don't know if no one could, has, had ever suffered like Christ did. If you read Isaiah 50, verse 6, and you read Isaiah 52 and verse 7, uh, 14, and if you read those things in Matthew, the 26th chapter, what happened to him, no man ever physically suffered like our precious Savior. But second, in a vast distance and second, and, and second to that, no one suffered like Paul. You want to read how he suffered? Read the book of Acts, what happened to this man and the things that happened to him, his experiences. And finally, he's in a prison. But you know what he said? He said this. He said, to be with Christ, which is far better, is the first desire of his heart. He could still be with him. But as it is good for the saints that he should remain, he knows that he will remain. But his expectation now, as always, is that Christ should be magnified in his body by life or death. And then we get into Philippians 2, to be like-minded to Christ, to be a servant as he was, would fulfill his own joy. In Philippians 3, Christ is his object. He, he surrenders all that was naturally of gain to him for Christ and forgets the things which are behind. When it says that in Philippians 3 and verse 14, forgets the things that are behind, those aren't failures. Those are even the successes that he had. Failures aren't him. But, he, but just to continue in the success that Christ is with forgiveness. <laughs> Very interesting. Experiential success through experiential forgiveness is quite a theme. But those things that were naturally gained... He lost them for Christ. Yeah, really, what did he really lose in comparison to what he gained? He forgets those things which are behind and he's pressing on to the goal, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He is, he is a citizen of heaven, no longer a citizen of the earth, no longer a citizen of his failures, no longer a citizen of any of that, looking for him to come to change his body like some of us are, of humiliation into a glorious body, like Christ's own glorious body. And so now in Philippians 4, he has learned. He's continually learning that in whatever condition or state he is in, to be satisfied in himself, and he can do all things through Christ. No, I can't. Yes, you can. He can do all things through him who makes him mighty, whose explosive power, grace and truth, and strengthens him. And Paul's desire was this as we close. Number one, it was to be with Christ. He could still have that experientially. 
He longed to be with him in his new body without any disturbance or distraction. But as long as he was here, it was number two, to be a servant just like him. Christ is his sole exclusive object. And when he is in my relation, personal relationship with him, which brings in forgiveness, so will that relationship be with others. How I rightly relate to God and the forgiveness of his love and that confirmation is how I'll rightly relate to others. Can't do it other ways. And to rightly relate means the exchange of the Christ life, which is equal to fellowship, which is fellowship in 1 John chapter 1 and those first four verses. Christ is the power to carry him over everything here on this earth. These four great experiences are generated from the two sides of the fact that Jesus Christ has called him. And Father, we thank you and praise you for your precious word and the beauty of it. Thank you, Father, that I may fail the beauty, the matchless magnitude of the person and the accomplishment of, of the work of Christ himself in me, but that beauty never fails in me. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.